Hello, I'm James Sandy, and this is The Unseen Swerve. In this special show, we'll be gearing up for this year's return of Mosley Folk and Arts Festival as it pushes forward with an impressive lineup of music, art, and culture drawn from across Birmingham and beyond. If you'd like to catch up on our show archive or you have an idea for a future feature, you can visit our website www.switchradio.co.uk forward slash TUS. Coming up, we track down Midnight Runner and Journeyman Pete Williams, we explore an illuminating new debut from Catherine Pretty, and we get down to brass tacks with festival manager John Fell. This is Switch. So really pleased now to have on the show um, a bit of a legend, singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and so many other things, Pete Williams. Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Many other it's things. Cool. I like that. Yeah, I am many other things. It's true. There is a big long list, I think. We could go through some of it, but there is a big long list. First and foremost, we should talk uh, about Mosley Folk and Arts Festival, because really excitingly, this year, 2021, you are playing the Sunday night, that's Sunday the 5th of September. And it's not just you, you've got a marvellous band around you. So uh, paint paint the picture about your uh, your your army of um, musical, uh, I don't know how to describe them best, accomplices. <laughs> misfits, freaks. Mi- misfits, um, okay. I've got a great band. I'm very lucky to have the guys playing with me that, that I have. Uh, Lawrence Saywood on bass, who uh, is uh, is a great player. Andy Wellings on guitar, and we've got Mark Morgan on drums, who has very kindly stepped in for our regular drummer, who is playing also plays for in the Hawley band. Now Richard's uh-huh. on right after us, so it's a bit much to ask Dean to do a set with us and then go to the stage with with uh, Richard Hawley. But Mark is a fantastic uh, deputy drummer that we that we've that we've got in. They just it's just what can I tell you? I mean, they, they, we've we've been playing together, and we did a lot of shows with the Proclaimers as special guests uh, the year before last, and a bit before that in 2015, we did 32 shows with them. And um, you know, they they they're great musicians, and it's a and it's an exciting racket that we make, and uh, it's uh, it's dynamic. It goes down to a whisper and up to a roar you know and it's uh it's great to be asked to do to i think we're closing the lunar stage on sunday night uh and then richard closes the festival uh richard hawley after us so it's a great slot and um it's something we're really looking forward to now having sort of seen a number of things that you've done live and in different places there's a lot of energy isn't there in your set and i don't mean you just go crazy but there's a lot of you know you you're a very sort of well honed team i think that's how it comes across well we we do we do our best you know i mean music's the thing that i still feel very privileged to be involved with it's 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 i'm not casual about it and whenever we go on stage and whatever we do we we try and do that you're only as good as your last gig as they say and we try and better that and strive for to make it as dynamic and as focused as possible really and uh, and hopefully you know and we get that communication going which has been so, you know, because of the times that, you know, music is communication and live shows are direct communication. And as truthful and as directly as you can do it, to, then the, the better, really. I'm very lucky to have the musicians I've got. You know, they're, they, they're great players and great guys too, you know, friends, you know. I've done stuff, I've been lucky enough to be asked to do, like, solo acoustic stuff. I've gone around the country doing solo shows 
and we and I've got a duo, a two-man show that I do with Andy Wellins, our guitarist, my guitarist, and also you know with a band. We're going to be doing it with a band at Mosley. You know, we've played in very intimate. I've played in very intimate spaces up to big arenas, and I think you learn every time that you that you do that. You know, with a life of touring and in different venues and stuff. So. Yeah, it should be it should be good, James. Yeah, excellent. Now let's talk about um, some of the material, some of the content, if you like, in terms of the songs and the and the set itself. Because I'm I'm really interested in your, I guess, your solo work and some of the things you've been doing recently. Which I, I want to get to the trilogy. I think the Sheffield trilogy it's known as, which sounds like um you know sort of a holy grail somewhere. But um it's a really interesting, uh, as its name suggests, collection of three records initially. I suppose about love and life, really, about an, a number of things around those. Um, but the most recent one of those, I think, was the 2018 album Hope Our Love Lasts and Never Dies, or the long acronym Holland. But I don't think there's a Dutch connection, is there? No, no. Holland is, as you've said, it's an acronym that I, that, that used to baffle me as a kid. I'm the, I, I grew up on a, just outside, around Aldbury, in a place called White Heath in the uh, in the West Indus, post-industrial West Midlands, in the, an area of the Black Country, uh, the Lion Farm Estate which was an area of high-rises and maisonettes. And on the walls there, as a kid when I was, when I was growing up, you'd see this word Holland sprayed and, and other acronyms as well. IDST was one where you'd have Jane Loves Joe, IDST, which stood for If Destroyed, Still True, which means if the graffiti's gone, that the, you know, the, the love is still there. And uh, it was just something that stood out. I, Holland, I used to see that, and I asked a friend of mine what it meant. And she said, don't you know, you know, that stands for hope our love lasts and never dies. And for some reason that lodged with me, you know. The picture on the sleeve is a picture of me outside our house. We just moved to the, the house on the edge of the estate. And uh, me and my mum. And it was around that time that I used to see, you know, I intended to make three records in Sheffield. I, I, I kind of I had a connection with Sheffield because I went up on the recommendation of Dean, my drummer, to meet a guy called Mike Tim, who had a studio in the centre of Sheffield called Axis. And the the way that I wanted to record my first album was in a space, ideally in a, which is what he got, a, a big live room, a thousand foot oak panelled live room where you record. And uh, I wanted that to inform the sound. I wanted to record it without without any or very few digital effects, just to capture, start with the bass and drums and build it from there. And uh, I, was, I got to meet Mike and we got on really well and we stayed over and... Um, I liked his studio. I spoke about how I wanted to record the album, and he just got my he just got it really. And and the, the other thing about Sheffield is it's a very similar place to the Black Country where I grew up. There's a lot of hills. There was a kind of thriving pub. The pub culture was very important, you know, as a, as a meeting place for people and a place where people would talk and relax and communicate. I just liked it, you know, and. Um, I ended up making three albums there, all of them produced by Mike, Mike Tim. And um, the last one was produced by Mike and Chez, Chez Sheridan, who plays guitar and lap steel and many instruments on my, on my albums and a, and a great, a great, a great musician. Um, it's interesting because I think when, when some people see that it's a Sheffield trilogy and they hear obviously 
your links to Richard Hawley. They make an assumption that you're a Sheffield lad, but it, no, you really aren't, are you? You know, it's it's kind of it's about the place and the sort of I suppose the environment you wanted to create for those records. Yeah, I mean, it was a place that when we were recording, and that we usually do it, is we'll go up to Sheffield for two or three days at a time and really focus and work hard. And that suited me. It's close enough to get up to and do and, and work and, and come away from. And the, the link with Richard was on my first album, See, when I was recording that. Dean, my drummer, had recently uh, got married and Richard couldn't make his stag night in Birmingham. So Richard came to the studio and took Dean out. And we met met up, met them afterwards. Dean had done his, done his part and I was doing vocals. And um, Richard just said, um, what was that track you were working on, love? When, when I came in the studio and um, and he said, and, and can I play on it? So he came down to the studio the day afterwards and um, and and ended up playing uh, on five tracks on seas and and also borrowed me his capacious arsenal of of brilliant guitars because I was because I hadn't got anything really to speak of. And he's been a friend and a, and a supporter and a, and a really good guy ever since, you know. Uh, that's and you'll meet, obviously, on the stage at, at Mosley Folk, which must be nice as well. As I guess there's a temptation to just muck about a bit rather than do some work. Is that, is that fair? <laughs> yeah, well, possibly. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping the weather stays good and uh, it's going to be quite a thing, isn't it, after this year? I was going to ask you about that because, uh, obviously, um, most of us have been locked down over the last 18 months at least, I guess. What kind of impact that's had on you perhaps professionally to start with in in terms of has it allowed you to do new and different things or has it been a, a constraint how, how have you found it i've got an album written that we were intending to record and we were working on we were in pre-production just before the first lockdown and working through um through songs and that kind of stuff that that had, had to stop Everything was put back. Obviously, the Mosley Folk Festival was put back. There were some other things that, that I was that I was committed to do that were put back. Like most people, I thought, right, I'm going to learn Russian or not that. You know, I thought I'm going to brush up on my clarinets. I'm going to get me Benny Goodman book out and brush up on on that and really apply myself. But I didn't. Just got on with it really and um, tried to keep busy. Do some some stuff. I, I teach ukulele to adults. I, uh, I've been teaching. Food on the table stuff that I that I do is, I, I've got some a very loyal ukulele class, intermediate and advanced ukulele class that I've been running on Zoom through this time, and that kind of kept me a, a, a weekly focus to prepare and get ready for, and 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 you know I've written like I say I've got an album written. We started rehearsing again recently, which was absolutely brilliant rehearsing for the for the festival. What can I tell you? We've got through it, you know intact so far so far so good it's quite another title of, a, of another song <laughs> you mentioned your clarinet there which i've read was that where you started when you were 10 is that what you started on somebody gave my dad a clarinet when i was about 11 at the school i went to at the time if you it still had music lessons and it got me out of maths for three quarters of an hour i took up the uh, clarinet that's how come i can read music really as a, my life as a bass, as an electric bass guitarist and a guitarist and all, all the rest is self-taught and I play piano and different bits, but that's all self-taught. But I do understand musical notation and if I have to score stuff for, for brass or strings, I can kind of do it. And I love the clarinets, you know, uh, it's just, I remember when I first had it and it's in it's, and it's this brown box with a red velvet lining and Somebody gave it my dad, and my dad gave it to me, and 
Yeah, it's a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing. And it's, it adds a certain... When I get it out, with the, the boys call it the misery stick. Sometimes the tube of gloom. See, I think you got the hard deal, though. I think you went the hard path, you know, in terms of musical notation over maths, you see. if you, I think you probably uh, you went down the, the harder route. It, well, you know, I mean, musical notation and maths are very similar, aren't they? You know, really, that kind of written down and classically trained music is a lot to do with maths, you know, fifths, thirds, all that, octaves, eight notes, 12, you know, with the semitones and all that stuff. But um, I consider myself kind of having a good instinct for music, which is far, far more important than being able to read music. One thing I often read about uh, you and your music is lots of people are very keen to to label what it is, and they often use the phrase social commentary. You know, they 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 sort of say, "Oh, that that Pete Williams, he does sort of uh, gritty poems about real life," and that, and there's an element of truth to that, I think. But I was thinking about maybe what you do is perhaps travel log, and what I mean by that is not that you go to far flung places and write about dinners and things that you have, but you're very much writing about families and places and their effect over time um, on, on on your kind of people's journey is it have i got the right end of the stick do you think maybe not the misery stick <laughs> i think you have james you put that very succinctly actually it is a kind of a travelogue it's just reflections of stuff that i've gone through i find it hard to write about experiences that i've not lived through imagine although some stuff that i do is very it, some of the songs are quite ab completely abstract some come from fragments of dreams but most of what i write is about stuff that I've gone through or how I feel about, and it is about things like fam family and loss and, and all that, you know. And each one of this, this Sheffield trilogy, there's kind of loosely is, you know, one is kind of loosely about the world of work and what that means is first real job and like reflections of leaving school at 15 and entering, um, working in a foundry and a pattern making shop and, well, the, the my recent one was about more about family, and the reason why my mum's on the on the cover is because I lost my mum very suddenly when I was young, and and it's about it's about that and uh, and closeness to people, and uh, and no, I think that was that was a very uh, you you got me there, I think, James, actually. This is Switch. Just finally, folks that are listening uh, at the moment, where where can they go? Um, obviously, they can come and see you at um, Mosley. Folk and Arts Festival, which is coming up right at the beginning of September. But where can they go to find out more about the wonderful world of Pete Williams and, more importantly, that album that is on the cusp of release at some point? Uh, yes, well, it's got to be recorded yet, which is which is what I'm looking at at the moment. But um, yeah, uh, it's a, it's an album that I'm uh, I've got high hopes for. I'm very pleased with what we've got so far. Um, you can get my music through the usual suspects through Apple, through Amazon. If you check my website, which is www.petewilliamsmusic.com, there's links there to my socials, to the YouTube channel, my three albums. It's on vinyl too. We've got really good, uh, it was massive for vinyl, 180 gram heavyweight vinyl. That's, that's the way to do it, really. Excellent. Well, Pete, it's been great to catch up with you. Great to talk with you and uh, have a great festival. We shall keep tabs on uh, your progress with uh, your new work. Thanks very much, James. All the best. This is Switch. You're listening to the Unseen Swerve special for Mosley Folk and Arts Festival 2021 with me, James Sandy, here on Switch Radio. This is Switch.
So they often say, if you want something done properly, you have to ask a busy man. And I found one in the shape of John Fell, who is the festival organiser for the Mosley Folk and Arts Festival 2021, which this year is happening between the 3rd and the 5th of September. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, James. It's great to have you on. And when I say busy, I think that's probably a bit of an understatement because things are ramping up for you, aren't they, at the moment? They, they really are. I mean, we do have, you know, another event as well, mostly jazz from Soul, which you know, that's gone through the mill of the delay in the government roadmap and getting pushed back and having to rebook. And that has just been a, an absolute mammoth task. But, you know, to have Mosey folk there at the end of the summer, selling well, it's uh, it's going to be all worthwhile at the end of it. So we should really pick on that point because it is something to celebrate, I think, that the festival is back up and running. I think this is its 15th incarnation, is that right? With the that's, sort of... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the 15th year. So it's been a... Yeah, it's coming a bit of a, a staple now in the Birmingham and, uh, well, the UK, the UK festival scene. It is. And it is, not only is it very well known, I think, now, but it is often celebrated, which is a, a good thing. People often talk about the type of performance and the atmosphere, I guess, that the festival generates. So let, let's start with a bit of the history of, in the grander scheme of festivals, it's still quite a, a new festival, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, some festivals have been going for. 50 years really and I think I think but I think what's really nice about Mosey Folk is is the venue you know Mosey Park it's such a intimate unique space and it's very different from any festival I've been to you know I've been to I've, I've probably been to hundreds of festivals now over the last 25 uh, 20 years so it's it, it can't grow much bigger so it always feels like it's something you know new and quite welcoming Whereas I think if it, you know, if if the venue was huge and it was growing to, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 cap, I think you'd lose that intimacy and intriguing angle that our festival delivers. You know, we've managed to maintain that really exciting element to the festival that keeps it fresh and makes it feel new as well. And it does occur, I think it's fair to say, in a fairly hidden part of Birmingham, let alone hidden part of Moseley. You know, some people, I guess, struggle to find where it is they don't when the festival's on because they can hear it i think they follow their ears don't they but um, to a lot of people when they see perhaps the surround and the environment they don't quite believe it's in birmingham oh well, 100 you know it is it is a real sanctuary i mean i don't know many festivals that are down an alleyway between dixon's and pizza express you know off a high street it is literally down an alleyway and you go into mosey park and it just opens up over the lake sloping amphitheater and it's actually a perfect, you know, it's actually a perfect site for for a folk festival. But you just definitely would not expect it. You know, we fin- it finishes at half ten. There isn't any camping, but it does mean that everybody leaves at half ten and goes straight into the pubs. So, you know, it's a really good atmosphere in, into the night as well. Now, obviously, like most people, over the last year, 18 months, things have been all over the place. They've been up in the air and things have been on hold. Some things have had to be dropped. In, in terms of yourselves as a kind of festival outfit, how... How's that survival been? I guess it's been a difficult time. Um, yeah, it's been it's been it's been horrific. <laughs> it's, uh, it really has. I mean, it's not to underestimate how damaged our industry has been. You know, from venues to the artists themselves to festivals. I mean, the problem you've got with a festival is that your twelve months revenue is on a weekend. You know, and if that weekend goes for any reason, you know, you'll you've just taken a whole 12 months away. You know, if, if you're a venue, it's essentially saying, right, then shut your doors for 12 months. So for festivals, it's very difficult. You know, there has been there has been some support, which has been good. I think we probably needed a bit more. Maybe we still get, we'll get a bit more. But, you know, we've managed to weather it. 
and and we're here and you know looking at um the covid related stats now i can't see a reason why mosafoke wouldn't be happening now and it's really you know that's really exciting i think the fact that we can pretty much safely say now that we're going ahead and two years without an event the lineup that we've got you know back in the beautiful park it's it's really exciting and there is always that dynamic, isn't there, with live events and certainly festivals where, um, you know, it's always a bit edgy as to, will it, won't it? You know, it's like, are the right things plugged in? You know, are the right, have the people arrived? You know, all, all those kind of different things. But I, I, I guess a pandemic is a whole different ball game, isn't it, really? It just puts you far away from what you want to to, to be at, I suppose. Oh, it is, yeah. I mean, it's, I, can't, I can't remember who it was, but there's an interview. I'd, I'd had the interview. I did an interview just before the pandemic hit, I think, probably like the January of that year. And we was talking about how, you know, festivals are used to mitigating risk and problem solving. And we, we have to kind of have a bit of a crystal ball to, you know, make sure that things that might happen are covered. And then COVID hit. And I just had to do that interview again the other day. <laughs> he, he kind of, that was the first question. He goes, so last time we spoke, we said, and it's just, you know, it's just, it really is something that none of us could ever plan against. You know, you don't plan to stop your event for a couple of years. Um, it's not in the business plan. And it's quite scary when it happens. It's, it's been a real testament to the team and the people around it. We're still here. And, you know, we will be for, you know, years to come now. Well, you've certainly stood back up again and dusted yourself down because you've got some amazing acts um, this year coming up at Mosley Folk and Arts Festival 2021. Now, let's talk about, I suppose, let's talk about the mixture of acts because that's quite an important element, I think, to the festival, isn't it? You've got some perhaps more established international artists, but you've also got newcomers who perhaps are up and coming and, and unsigned. Well, yeah, we do. I mean, the, the, the one thing we've done with Mosey Folk and, and our sister festival, Mosey Jazz Folk and Souls, we've, all, we've had two stages that sit side by side and the crowd basically doesn't have to move. The two stages alternate. So it just means on the main stage, we can have the, you know, the international acts. And then on the on the second stage, we can offer up and coming and particularly local Birmingham acts uh, opportunities to play with, you know, with the bigger artists. So it's a real good uh, festival for like, showcasing new talent, particularly local talent. Yeah, it's it, it is a real mixture this year. I think it's actually pretty, you know, it's probably our strongest liner, kind of looking from top to bottom. Really, I think it, you know, in terms of the the heavyweights at the top, to have the Waterboys, Frank Turner, Richard Hawley, Passenger, and then even you know the the pre headliners like Wonderstuff, Jay Bird, Griff Reese. It's it's a real real strong lineup. And usually, what I like to do is I like to look at the uh, poster, which is increasingly beautifully designed. You know, the kind of uh, the amount of space and you know the fonts and how they fit everything on one page i don't quite know but you kind of you, you kind of scan it and you think oh who's playing you know who's playing and you mentioned some of the you know the people that caught my attention uh, i mean there's a real kind of um diversity there's a real richness i think to the to the lineup this year but people like the water boys and the yes. wonder stuff you know they, they just they strike me immediately i think yeah they, they are absolutely and you know the fact that we we we, went, we made a conscious decision to really overrig the pudding i guess we want we had the water boys and was like right who would who would work really well for the water boys on that friday and you know wonder stuff came to mind straight away and we managed to, to get them in and you know pete and diesel another great band that are emerging gone before so i mean that that friday is going to be non-stop you know it's also got the nightingales on there as well so it's real it's going to be a really real full-on day and you've also got way out in front of jarvis and joe cocker and john shuttleworth you've got Sheffield's premier singer-songwriter, I think, Richard Hawley, which is, again, a real name, isn't it, to, to bring to the festival? Well, it is, yeah. I mean, Richard's someone that I've, I've wanted to book Percy for a very long time. And, you know, I've, I've been to see Richard on countless occasions. And I remember just going to see him. I mean, I think I went to see him probably, uh, I think I'd been working 
or down. I just thought, you know, I wanted to go and watch him with the festival in mind. So I just went down there on my own and just, you know, really took the show in and just pictured it in Mosley Park. And it, it's, for me, it's like the perfect Mosley folk booking because, you know, he's a storyteller. So you kind of have that folk element there, but he's not your traditional folk artist. You know, he's he rocks it out. Um, you know, he's an incredible guitarist, but he's the kind of artist that our audience will really, really take to. So whether they've seen Richard before or whether they know Richard before or not, I think he's going to get such a warm reception from the set that he's going to play. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the other great thing I think about um, the festival is, I guess it's family focus because um, the, I suppose the the setting allows for this um, as well, really. Yes, you've got the kind of the folk and the rock and roll and the dancing and the groove and all the kind of important things, but you've also got some family friendly bits, haven't you? You've got, you know, very much a site where people can um, pick and choose the the kind of experience they want. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the site is very small and it, it, that means that we can't just have music, music, music. You know, there would be too much sound clashes. It wouldn't be very nice. You know, for people sitting in the middle of the park, you'd hear very similar stages. So, you know, what we've done is to offer a different offering for you know various groups of people. So, as you say, families, you know, under 11s can come free um, with, with a paying adult. And it's a natural border to the park. So it's a real safe place for kids to kind of run around and do their thing. You know, in recent years, we we're very lucky to acquire the space around the lake, which create a new area for us where we have like blacksmithing workshops and um, wood carving workshops and kids clubs and storytelling and kids instrument workshops and things like that. So there really is a good offering for, for families as well as music lovers. And in, I think it was, I think it was about three years ago, maybe four, I always get confused with the, with the, with the break in COVID, but you know, we changed from Mosey Folk Festival to Mosey Folk and Arts Festival with the real aim to, do exactly what you said create that you you know create a more in-depth offering for people this year there's a lot of comedy there's you know birmingham comedy festival and the glee club are coming and they're bringing various comedians one of which is going to be rich hall um, the american comedian which we're really excited about we have you know joe lysick coming along to be in conversation with cold war steve the artist barbara nice jess phillips pete perfidus there's like there's a lot of talks comedy and artists going to be there so it really does add a different angle to the festival. I think the other thing that's really positive that strikes me just looking around the information is the accessibility of the site, and I, particularly for disabled users and disabled festival goers. You know, it, it is a place where it's not just an afterthought. It's kind of it's integrated, isn't it? It is integrated. You know, it's, it's, it's a shame. You know, we do obviously have this conversation every year, but it's a shame that because we're on the high street, there isn't um, any designated parking, which does make it difficult for um you know, our users with accessibility issues. But we have, you know, various schemes where, you know, a carer can come free. It's not a long distance from from the road. So if, if they can organise transport and taxis and there is drop-off points and, you know, the, the venue is a sloping amphitheatre. So there is like a perfect position at the top um, as a viewing platform. So it actually works really nice. It's not, it's not a daunting place to come for, for any group, I don't think, would like to think anyway. Now, I mentioned right at the start that you are a busy man, but it's not just you, is it? I think it's probably fair to give uh, the team around you probably uh, a bit of credit because you have a, a phenomenal amount of people doing all kinds of things, don't you? And not just, you know, sort of people imagine in the week beforehand. You know, this is a sort of perpetual business, isn't it, I guess? It is. It's all It's all year round, you know, and we do have a lot of freelance workers that come in. I mean, we you know, we have our core team, but people from the kind of digital marketing guys, the guys that are doing the PR, 
you know, the guys that come into the security, the artist liaison, you know, my assistant helps with the marketing um, and, you know, the Facebook posts and the mailing lists. And it is, uh, there's, there's a hell of a lot of work to do. And it's, you know, it is actually done by quite a surprising small amount of people, but it is definitely, you know, an all year round business. It's, you know, the planning for 2022 has already started and, you know, 2021's event is not out of the way. So it's, it's a continuous circle of, uh, of planning and organizing and, and getting excited about the event. So folks that are listening that hopefully have already um, grasped a ticket for this year's Mosley Folk and Arts Festival, there's more information online, but also for folks that are out there that haven't yet quite sealed the deal in terms of getting hold of a ticket, where, John, can they go online to, to find that kind of thing? It would be from our website, which is www.mosleyfolk.co.uk, and it have all the information there from you know how to get there to actually picking up tickets and who's playing on what day. So if they just head to um, mosleyfolk.co.uk, they'll find all the information. And it's all on there. And just, if I may, a final question, an important point, I think. There is a rule, I think, isn't there, about the festival about tents aren't allowed, but chairs are. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not a camping festival, so people can bring their chairs. There is there is a line towards the back of the field where, you, you know, you, people can kind of pitch up and make their little base for the day. You know, we get people right there at the start of the day battling for that front line of where the chairs can be, which is always, always find it quite humorous <laughs> to watch. Um, but yes, chairs are allowed. So, you know, it's, it's not a, a scary festival where you have to stand and dance and, and move around all day. If you want to come along with a blanket and you know, a couple of chairs you can find your pitch on the hill and you can stay there for you know 10 hours and just let let the festival uh, unfurl before you i think we're all looking forward to the fantastic program that you've managed to pull together for this year's mosley folk and arts festival which as i said is happening between the 3rd and the 5th of september in 2021 and john i I'm, wish you all the best and i'm hoping that the weather's great you've got the right cables and the power's plugged in and everybody shows up. I think that's probably the uh, the most I can uh, impart to you. <laughs> well, no, thank you. Yeah, I hope that as well. Hope that and more. Uh, thank you. <laughs> it's great to talk to you. Thanks so much. This is Switch. One of the artists this year playing at Mosley Folk Festival, I'm really pleased to say, joins us now on the line. It's Catherine Pretty. Catherine, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. And really excitingly, we should start with your new album, your debut album, which has got a very interesting title. It's The Eternal Rocks Beneath, which is a slight play on words, I think. You have to be careful how you say it. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, it kind of came from... It, it's it's actually a, a, a snippet of my favourite line from my favourite book, which is Wuthering Heights, um, ah. where she describes her lovers uh, like the rocks beneath, the eternal rocks beneath. It just felt fitting for a debut album because... Lots of these songs are written so long ago and they kind of form the foundations, I suppose, for, for everything I've done since and, and the, the album itself forms the foundation for whatever comes next. I think that's kind of where it came from. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, unlike some artists, you've taken quite some time to get to a debut and that's and, mm -hmm. and that's not a negative thing. You you no. really polished and honed, not, not just your craft, but these songs. I think, as you said, some of these are, you know, songs that perhaps have, have changed quite a bit since their inception. Yeah, I mean, I think the oldest songs on there I wrote when I was about 15. I don't know, I feel like there's no rush when it comes to a debut. The, the joy of a debut is that there's no expectation and there's no, you can kind of take your time with the first one. It's the second and the ones after it that people begin to kind of, well, you hope that people begin to uh, to, to demand. But um, I don't know, I, I think it was, I wanted to wait because I wanted to make sure I was comfortable and I felt like they were good enough. And I don't know, I wanted to make sure I was releasing it at the right time. 
when it felt like the momentum was there. And I was going to release it last year, but obviously things kind of ground to a halt last year. And I'm, I'm pleased I, I waited. But yeah, it feels really, really, really nice to get these songs out there finally uh, after quite a long time and kind of just draw a line under this chapter, really. And until the debut appeared, you've done, I think, a number of sort of EPs and singles. But mm. is it fair to say that live music perhaps is is where it's at for you? Is that is that the passion? Is that what you what you're in it for? Yeah, I mean, I, I so I've done my debut EP came out in 2018 called Wolf, and then I released a, a couple of singles after that. But certainly, I think the best bit about being a musician is being able to perform live, because um, I think that's where your music really comes to life I suppose and it's also just the most fun I really enjoy meeting people and going and playing in some great venues around the country so certainly I think live is is the best part of being a musician and it's certainly the part I've missed most over the last 18 months so I'm, I'm pleased to see that it is beginning to make a bit of a return now. And Wolf is one of the tracks that appears on the album as well. And it's an intriguing song in many ways. For me when I heard it it comes across as it's partly I think about the wolf in sheep's clothing it's that perhaps mm. idea isn't it perhaps a, a relationship that goes bad over time is yeah. that is that a, is that a reasonable summary of it yeah so um as i said the, the title of the album is a, a snippet of a line from wuthering heights and i wanted to do that because wolf was the title track of the first ep as you say is featured on the album and it's it's i wrote it after reading wuthering heights so i kind of wanted to link the two releases together as a little group probably only me that would ever notice that connection but it's it's there for me anyway yeah I, I wrote it about the character of Heathcliff and that idea of someone that you love and hate simultaneously and you hate to love them and you shouldn't love them and that's that's kind of what that song's about and just that I suppose where where passion meets hatred I suppose is where that song would fit and it has I think folks will probably um, find the video that goes along with um, <laughs> that particular track it has a video which I and also a number of reviews and uh, columnists always mention that video i think it had a real impact on people literally an impact on people because <laughs> it's quite creatively destructive let, let, let's say that it's you smashing up a lot of things isn't it it is yeah i mean again that was partly because it, we felt like it fitted the theme of the song and that it is that kind of hatred and destruction and stuff but also i'm, I'm always quite keen to subvert that expectation you get sometimes in the folk scene of for women um, making music to wear flowery dresses and kind of be these nymphs of the wood sometimes I sometimes feel like that's a bit of a stereotype and that's kind of what sometimes people would like to try and pigeonhole you as so I was very keen with that first music video to really try and get as far away from that as possible and um, just any excuse to smash things with a baseball bat really I'm quite happy to take. I was quite worried when I saw you strutting through Cannon Hill Park with a baseball bat at one point. <laughs> I think but, other uh... people were as well, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's pick up on that point, actually, because it's a really interesting point about, I guess, how a lot of female artists in particular, are, I suppose typecast, I suppose that's the right yeah. kind of phrase, isn't it? You know, there's an idea that, that women in the, the folk music scene particularly are delicate, ethereal things yeah. and um and sometimes that's true but it's not by any means the kind of norm is it i mean i think there's a comparison here that that i'll mention which is i, I guess when kate bush appeared at a very mm. young age and people had that idea of her as a you know a, a sort of very delicate folk singer but she really took it to other places and was very defiant yeah. in what she was doing and i think there's an interesting parallel perhaps in in some of the things that you're doing yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's it's just that because obviously my voice is quite soft and a lot of the songs on the album are quite delicate, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be. And I think it's already a little bit 
more difficult for female musicians to be taken seriously and to kind of get to the main stages and unfortunately although you know things are improving but there's still a way to go and so I think for me I just want to make sure that even if my music's soft and and vulnerable and delicate it doesn't mean that I'm taken in that way and I'm I do want to be taken seriously you know I am this is my profession and and my business and I do want people to to understand that and to make sure that I'm not here to be kind of walked over or I'm, I'm not a little flower maiden you know even if my music can be quite soft I suppose and I think uh, the Brontes have a lot to answer for I think in terms of uh, folk music and, and more widely in our our culture I was going to ask you um, how much do you think your study of English literature is responsible for what you're doing now do you, do you think it's natural that English literature students fall into folk yeah I mean I suppose music in general well, certainly for me, I think the lyrics are a huge part of my my songs. Uh, I've always been a, a real lover of poetry and literature, and so I think it's it was quite natural for me to 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 start to write my own stuff. And I've always kind of wanted my songs to stand alone without music as well, just as, as lyrics. I put a lot of thought into how they're structured in in that way. But certainly, folk music there's a real emphasis on storytelling nature of, of folk. I think that's one of the things that defines the genre because. I've always been a bit cautious of calling myself a, a folk musician because in, in, I've also had people say I'm not folk and in some ways I'm, I'm not very folky but I think that storytelling element is probably where I fit most into that genre and that's that's certainly something that's been yeah influenced by by my reading I suppose. I think people always get nervous about labels and brackets and mm. you know being where, where they would sit in the record shop I guess is probably the, the consideration yeah. and I think most record shops everything's all over the place now so it kind of it doesn't yeah. matter I suppose. I think you just don't want to get pigeonholed and, and stuck into something and I think but but you know folk is as you say an increasingly wide and inclusive genre so it's not just kind of diddly traditional you know pub session music it's there's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff in folk that you might not necessarily immediately class as folk but yeah so I, I guess I guess that's that's the only reason I'm a bit cautious of it is just, I don't want people to I don't want there to be expectations that I have to stick to kind of acoustic instruments and things if I want to experiment outside of that. I think what's really interesting about your record is that a lot of folk records try and be I suppose nostalgic in terms of the heritage of folk music. They try and look look backwards and pick out things, but they also try and be edgy in terms of being an alarm call or being a sort of protest record. Mm -hmm. well, what's interesting with what you've done, I think, is that you take elements of those, but there's a real definitive sound in what you do. You know, it, it's clearly different. It adds something. So. Uh, for me, I found that there are, there are lots of levels to this, I think. So let's talk a little bit about some of the live things that you've done, because you, you mentioned earlier on that live music is, is, I guess, what gets the blood going, isn't it? That's what, yeah, uh, what, it's, yeah. what it's all about. And we, we've missed that because, obviously, we've all been, uh, you know, hiding in our corners and uh, locked mm -hmm. down or locked up, depending on um, how we've uh, behaved. But you've played all over the country, and not just in the UK, but you've played in Ireland and other places as well. And I think it's probably worth saying some of the people that you've played with in terms of support, in terms of the, I guess, you know, in, if, if there was a, a high committee of folk music, the, some of these people would be round the table, I think. So, you know, just to name just a couple, you, you've played with Martin Carty, Richard Thompson, and also Vashti Bunyan. So um, that's, yeah. is that quite daunting? Yeah, I mean, I think the Vashti Bunyan one I was quite nervous about because I'd grown up listening to her and she's such a kind of mysterious, elusive character anyway. That one was, was really surreal, but I was very honoured. And Martin Carthy is absolutely lovely. But again, it was a Waterson Carthy gig that actually first inspired me to pick up a guitar and, and start trying to write my own music. So that 
that was that was actually just incredible to feel like I'd kind of gone full circle in that way by then performing with him. But yeah, the Richard Thompson tour in Ireland was was probably the most uh, intimidating one because I hadn't really played in many huge venues like those before. Um, but it was just yeah, a, like a proper kind of dream come true, I suppose. So I enjoyed every minute of it. There were a couple of other th- tracks I wanted to pick out on the um, record, which I found really interesting. There's a couple of I suppose mythological kind of god related tracks and i mean that probably in the kind of greek tragedy sense so you've got eurydice and you've got icarus appear for example now these are characters that have been i think well perhaps covered in music Mm -hmm. before because they are and they are real sort of their stories are very well known they're iconic stories so what what made you what what drew you towards those um i've always really enjoyed greek myths i think they're incredible stories they're very passionate i've always liked the way that there's real good characters and bad characters and the gods aren't always good I don't know I just think that they're really great for the imagination I loved them as a child but I also like the the morals of the stories and how they can be applied to to modern situations as well and that was kind of what I aimed to do with the songs so Icarus was less about the Greek character of Icarus and more about the idea of someone you know I think we all know someone who isn't happy is never happy with what they've got and is always wanting more and more and how that's not necessarily the great way to live your life so that's what I, I used Icarus as a kind of starting point for. And Eurydice, she was down in the she was sent down to the underworld, she died, and her lover tried to come and get her back. He was told he couldn't have her back unless she walked out um behind him and he, he wasn't allowed to turn around to check that she was following him. So it was a kind of a game of trust. And again, I didn't want the song to be so explicitly about that and more be more kind of about that idea of when you're in a relationship with someone, you have to really trust that they're still there, even though it doesn't always feel like they are. And so I just kind of wanted to use them as a starting point really for more exploring situations and feelings that we're all very familiar with in the modern day rather than just back in ancient Greece. <laughs> and there's a little bit of a shift of style as well in terms of one of the other tracks, which is Letters from a Travelling Man, yes. uh, which which does take a bit of a, it's not a jolt, but it does take a, a quite a different musical trip, <laughs> I suppose, if I can use that yeah. that phrase. And it starts with a banjo. So you suddenly sort of, um, you know, you're kind of wrapped in, I, I guess, some of the sort of smoky sound, let's call it that, um, of, yeah. of some of the other tracks. Um, and suddenly um, you jump up right because this track comes on. So where, is this a track that perhaps has a, has a heritage in terms of things that you've kind of grown over time, it's developed over time? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always, as well as folky stuff, and well, I've always listened to a lot of different music, to be honest. Um, but I'm, I'm, I've been getting more and more into my Americana and that kind of more country side of things. So I think Let's From A Travelling Man is a little hint of that. And I also just wanted to write a song which is a little bit more upbeat and had a bit more of a, a live band feel. Because I think that, you know, it's fun to play and it's also nice on an album to have some more upbeat ones that, um, like you say, kind of just, I don't know, give you a little bit of a break from the slower ones or whatever. I think it's nice to, to have some peaks and troughs in an album like that. Now, a lot of uh, folk artists, I think, uh, they wave one of two flags. They either wear the kind of Celtic flag or the angle flag, let me call it that, uh, rather clumsily. And I think in some ways you sort of blend the two together quite cleverly. Yeah. Is it, do you consciously do that? Do you sort of draw on sort of an, an Irish-English history? Do you, know. or, I mean, or is it just sort of, does it just come through in that way? I think it I think it probably just comes through in that way because I, I grew up listening to a lot of Irish folk, but also a lot of English folk. And so I, I think really it's just come because those are the sounds I, I like and I don't necessarily... I didn't really think while I was uh, recording them that I wanted it to sound a particular kind of from a particular place or in a particular style. It was just the sounds that I liked and the sounds that I I wanted to 
to recreate. So yeah, I think it's. I think in the end, it has fallen somewhere in the middle. And there's a hint, I think, in one of the tracks. I can't remember which track, but there's a hint of an almost French accordion going. Oh. You know, there's some kind of. You know, there's almost this French, Spanish, Iberian theme to one of the, the tracks. Yeah, so that'll be the, the spring never came. I actually, when I I wrote that one, and I wanted it to have this. I, I remember describing it to the producer as I wanted it to have. French noir so I made up my own genre to try and describe this to him because I wanted it to feel like you're heartbroken and you're sitting in a, a sticky floored smoky Parisian bar um, making your way through a bottle of red wine and lamenting and that's kind of the sound I tried to get from that one and that's what I said to the accordionist as well I said I kind of want like a heartbroken smoky French feel and I think he they somehow they knew what I meant and they've uh, really nailed it there <laughs> You would definitely get your own uh, space in a record shop, I think, with French noir folk. So you're playing on Sunday, the 5th of September at Mosley Folk and Arts Festival. Very excitingly. Is Mosley Folk something you've done before? Yeah, so they probably gave me my first festival gig when I was about 16. Um, I've been going to their festival every year, except for the first year. Uh, Yeah, they're, they're great friends of mine and they've been incredibly, incredibly supportive over the years. So... Yeah, it'll be really nice to play on the main stage this year. Catherine, importantly, where do people go to find your debut album and more about you and your music? Well, they can head to my website, which is www.catherinepretty.co.uk. And I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual places, just as Catherine Pretty. So you can come and find my music and also where I'll be playing for the rest of the year. Thanks so much and uh, best of luck with the festival. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this show. My thanks to Pete Williams, Catherine Pretty, John Fell and the festival team, and 448 Creative. The Unseen Swerve is written and presented by me, James Sandy, and is a King of the Buttons production for Switch Radio. Oh